You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30 out 6 and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit savagearms.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy Mother Effin'. New Year, everybody, and uh, man, I tell you what, 2020 really sucked, but it was really awesome all at the same time, and uh, this is the first episode in 2021 here at the Nine Finger Chronicles, man, and uh, I want to say to all of you who are listening, uh, hopefully your hangovers are at a minimum uh, today. I'll be watching all of my kids so I know that I won't have a hangover for, I'm going to probably have a couple glasses of bourbon and then go to bed probably before the ball drops, to be honest with you, uh, because I got, uh, shit to do, to be honest with you. But that is beside the point. None of that really matters. Uh, I just hope that your, your hangovers are at a minimum. Uh, and if it, if you are like really hungover, this is the perfect episode for you to just kind of sit back and relax to uh, just listen to it. Uh, we have Bob Polanik back on the show today and Bob, uh, he's kind of turned into a cohort, a co-host of sorts on the nine finger Chronicles uh, podcast and the hunting gear podcast. Uh, by the way, the hunting gear podcast uh, this week with, Chad Riker of Backcountry Rookies is a badass episode. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of information out of it as far as how to make purchases uh, for for your gear based off of research and what fits right for you. And uh, maybe, you know, if you're new to hunting, how you should go about organizing, purchasing, identifying the, the categories that that you want so anyway that's a really good episode today i'm going to be talking with bob and uh man i go off on tangents like i'm really good at like seeing the light of the end of the tunnel but just like doing a u-turn and 
whipping a shitter right in the middle of the street and causing an accident. And then finally, some way I make it back to the main point, which is today we are recapping Bob's hunting season. And although it is not over yet, uh, we talk about his Nebraska hunt for whitetails. We talk about his Michigan hunt for whitetails. And we talk about his Iowa hunt for whitetails. And we and we kind of break all of it down. We talk about the good points, the bad points, the points in between, uh, what he learned. We talk a little bit about strategy. We talk about trail cameras. We talk about a whole bunch of different unique and awesome things. And it's just a really good uh story and inside of the story like most of the stories or podcasts that uh, you listen to here on the nine finger chronicles you might be able to take away something that will help you the next time you hit the timber now for many of us this year is slowly or quickly coming to an end however you want to look at it uh and some of this information you just got to hold on to until next season or prep you know, think about when you're scouting. So with that said, hopefully you guys enjoy this episode and uh, I'm going to do kind of a sponsor shout out real quick and the re- I'm going to keep it short. All I really want to do right now is I'm thinking if you guys have any uh, uh, gift certificates or gift cards that you got for Christmas and you're looking to spend some money, here are some things that I can help provide you with that makes your dollar stretch just a little bit longer all right so i have a discount code with ozonix and that is nfc19 and what that is is if you buy one of their units like the hr300 the orion the hr230 you will get a free dry wash bag with that purchase so there's that nfc19 now at wasp broadheads one of the best broadheads on the market hands down uh, you get a 20% off your order, 20% off your order by entering the discount code 9fingers2020. That's the number 9, followed by the word fingers2020, 9fingers2020, uh, and that's 20% off. Uh, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. You want a discount code? Here it is. It is 9FC50. That's going to get you $50 off of your purchase of $199 or just just round up to $200. So $50 off all purchases over $200. 9FC50. Take advantage of that one. That's a good one. And then lastly... We have the Average Conservationist, and the Average Conservationist, uh, they just recently provided me with this discount code, uh, AverageConservationist.com, TheAverageConservationist.com, NFC10, and that's going to get you 10% off your purchase, all the apparel uh, across that website, and that's a badass hat's hoodies Uh, they have a really kick-ass apparel line so that's all i'm going to say about that and there's no discount code with vortex but the 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 real value with vortex optics is their vip warranty where if you damage it break it destroy it you put it in a box you send it back they will fix it or replace it and send it back to you 
at no charge. So that's a win for Vortex. So those are, are, are the current partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. I'm taking a real long time here on the intro, but I, I just want to make sure I covered all my bases. Be sure to follow the Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram and Facebook, and be sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, not only the Nine Finger Chronicles, but all of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation, including the Hunting Gear podcast that I talked about earlier. So enough of the bullshit. Let's get into today's episode with my homeboy, Bob Polanik. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me once again, Mr. Robert Polanik. What do you have a middle name? Andrew. Robert Andrew. Andrew. Robert Andrew Polanik. When your mom or dad got mad at you as a kid, did they say the full three names? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Did yours? Uh, yeah. Um, mine. They never said my last name. It was Daniel Keith. Daniel Keith. And it was just my mom yelling at me. My dad never really got mad. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they'd also mix that up with my brothers too. I'd get I'd get called Thomas William all the time as well. Yeah. So yeah. Oh man, yep. I am, I am like that now where I'm just like my parents. I'm just like my grandparents where I yell at my kids. I say all three of their names right away, and that way everybody's paying attention to to me, even though I really only want to yell at one. <laughs> nice. So that's how I roll these days. Did you have a good Christmas, man? Um, it was pretty chill just with the whole COVID. We had yeah. one set of parents between my wife and I, we had one set of parents like in quarantine, they weren't sick or anything, which is good. But, uh, and then, yeah, my, it was, it was kind of a bummer. My, uh, we just didn't do a lot. Normally we do normally see a ton of friends and family and yeah. it was, it was all, it's you know, really like a four day deal and it, that can be exhausting. But, uh, this year was like a day and a half tops and we just only saw like a handful of handful of family and no friends and so it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer but puts things in perspective yeah. i guess a lot of my so. family t- has had covid already so we pushed back all of our christmas type things to this upcoming weekend which is going to be the second and the third or no the the first and the second we're having our christmas uh together as a as a whole family and most of the people of my brothers had it my mom and stepdad have had it my uh sister-in-law's had it my i'm sure my nephew uh has had it i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i mean th- they all tested positive my family we've all been sick but we 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 never got tested it wasn't like bad enough to go to a hospital but uh, I had like a sinus infection real bad. My wife was uh, sick for a while. My kids had like, I don't know, a week of just like coughs and snotty noses and stuff like that. So who knows? It could or couldn't, could be, whatever. We never right. got <clears throat> tested. But for everybody that I talk to, they're pretty, sh- they're, they're like, yeah, you more than likely you had it, but just didn't have it bad. So I'm, I'm, I'm praying for that. Yeah. I, uh, my wife and I got it out in on our Nebraska hunt in uh, early November. Hmm. Um, didn't hit us too bad, but I I made a joke back in like March that if I got it, I was if I was ever gonna get COVID, I was hoping that I'd get it during the rut. And sure enough, 
got it during the rut, which ended up being fine because yeah. it just quarantined in a tree stand. But, <laughs> if you're going to be quarantined, yeah. quarantined someplace, that might as well be the place, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So exactly. today we are going to talk a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot about your season because you kind of, you live in Michigan and you kind of bounced around to Nebraska to, uh, we talked about your elk hunt this year already, but we haven't really talked about your whitetail season in Nebraska and Iowa and, and even Michigan. So we're going to start off with closest to home and fill, fill us in on how your Michigan season went. Uh, my Michigan season actually ended up being pretty good. I didn't, I didn't shoot anything. Um, I've been struggling to really fill a, a Michigan buck tag for the last several years because all of November, all of basically the rut, I'm out in the Midwest. So, well, I guess Michigan's technically the Midwest, but I'm out in the, you know, Iowa, Nebraska, wherever. But uh, no, I had a, I had a nice three and a half year old um, around one of my properties that I had, I think three or four different encounters with. And it was, it was all of mid October and like that 10 October, like 10th to 20th time frame that I kept um, having encounters with him. I had one encounter with him in the morning and I didn't, I forgot my grunt tube. Um, and if I had my grunt tube, I had him at 40 yards. And if I had my grunt tube, I probably could have just done a soft grunt and I am willing to bet he probably would have came my way. He was, uh, he was sent checking a doe. It was a real cold morning. I don't really hunt a lot of mornings in October, but that morning I did just cause it was cold and he kind of bumped another, another buck off his doe and sent checked her and he made a scrape all at 40 yards and I just, you know, threw a bunch of branches and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I tried to snort wheeze at him, but it's, it was just way too early to snort wheeze at a buck, you know, yeah. you know, early, you know, mid October. So that didn't really go well. Um, but then even like a couple nights later, had another encounter with him. I had him at 20 yards. Uh, I was at full draw and it was, I mean, it was just pitch blackout. I just couldn't just see my pants. Man, doesn't that suck where, oh, yeah. where you, you think there's enough light, but then once you get that deer, in your or you're looking th- for that deer in your your site housing that it just you're like i can't do this you want to you want to just like close your eyes and let one rip but then you know the, yeah. the good part of your brain goes man i have i had that uh this year on a doe uh, i was going to shoot a doe and i drew back on her and i was like okay here you go no it was a button or yeah it was a doe and i drew back on her and i was just like God, it's just too dark. And uh, why am I in the tree stand right now? So, been there, man. It sucks. Yeah, I had to, I had laid eyes on him that night. I watched him for probably a half hour, and he was chasing does around and stuff like that. There was a lot of, um, just like early rutting. I mean, not rutting, but chasing. There was just really good chasing. Yeah. Um, in mid-November on one of my properties, and I just, I just kept hunting, kept encountering this buck and uh, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't anything huge. He's just a nice eight point. He's really, really tall and just a heavy, heavy main beams, but not a lot of uh tine length, but, but yeah, I'm not real. I'm not real picky when it comes to Michigan, just cause time, the time and the quality of deer here are pretty limited. So, yeah, but so no, it was, it was fun. I definitely, um, I don't know. I wanted, I was hoping he would make it. I don't think he did. Cause I had pictures of him all like every day from, 
November 1st to about the 16th, and then he's just ghost town. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming he's in someone's freezer. So Question. You you had a whole bunch of good deer in Michigan on trail camera at the beginning of the you know before in the summer before the season even started. Uh, did yep. any of those deer, did you have encounters with any of those deer or were they kind of ghosts too? Nope. That was on a property that I always get great summertime pictures. And once about September 20th, 25th rolls around, they all kind of just disappear. I had one that was around the first couple days of October still. Um, I never caught up with them. I had, I got cell cam pics of them you know, in daylight on like October 3rd in the morning. Yeah. And, um, I would have never even hunted that morning anyway. So it kind of didn't matter, Yeah, but, uh, they all just, I hunted there four or five times and I never even saw a deer. So that's, uh, that, that property is just, I don't know what it is. It's got corn on it. It's got a lot of rolling Hills. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of bedding cover, especially when the leaves come down. So I think they always come back, um, mid-december so yeah but i went i actually was there yesterday and i pulled cameras down and there wasn't there wasn't much of anything around gotcha so gotcha yeah so your your michigan season in a nutshell was that those encounters with that three-year-old it sounds like yeah pretty much yeah pretty much yeah so i know we talked about this before but other so that three-year-old so three-year-old in Michigan makes the cut for you to try to shoot. Yeah. 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 Yep. Gotcha. I, Our, I've, if it was a, if it was a stud two and a half year old and it was just a chip shot, just a gimme 20 yeah. yarder, I'd, I'd probably zip one through Yeah. a two and a half year old eight point or something like that. Yeah. So and I'm in the same boat. It's just the age classes are a little bit different, man. I tell you what, I, there's, right. there's years where I have some really good three-year-olds here in Iowa on camera and I just plain up don't want to see them I don't want to have an encounter with them I don't want them to come within 20 yards or 30 yards of my tree stand (laughs) like just please don't show up go hide somewhere else and that way I'm not even tempted for you know to to shoot that deer and I've had I've had some encounters in the past I mean this is several years ago where um I was I had a 165-inch three-year-old, 160, 165-inch three-year-old that was on one of the farms. And he came through one day, and uh, I was going to shoot him. And uh, because, you know, it's who passes on a 165-inch deer, period, right? (laughs) Right. Nobody nobody should be doing that unless you're managing your, you know, you're you're really heavy into management. But uh, I could never do that. So he would have definitely gotten narrow, and he just, he, he came through, and he took a, a different trail and he kind of just right on the outskirts of my range. And I just was like, nah, I can't do it. And, and uh, then I didn't see him again ever. So who knows what happened to him? Yeah. Yeah. No, I might, you know, I had a, I kind of realized this just the beginning of this year, even like in the summertime, I kind of just realized like I've only really, I've only been seriously bow hunting for about eight or nine years. I don't have a ton of deer under my belt, probably, I don't know, 20, 25 deer between does and bucks it's just like you know i yeah. i probably still need to keep flinging arrows at at two and a half and three and a half year old deer and you know with all the with all the information out there about how to hunt mature bucks and all the trail cameras and patterning stuff like that 
it's really fun to try to play the game with an older class deer and hold out for them. And I've, I've done it. It's just, I keep eating tags. I'm just yeah. not very good at hunting mature deer. So, and I've got no problem admitting it. So it's like, you know, as long as you keep your mentality good about still having fun, even though yeah. you're not shooting anything. And that's I kind of focused on that too. Don't worry about the end result. Just have fun with it. Yeah. So, so let me, t- let me tell you this. Here's the predicament that I'm in. I don't get to hunt as much as I used to between work and my family and then also taking out of state trips. Right. So I'm going to these different places to hunt, especially in October, you know, and I could be hunting here in Iowa and I always buy three doe tags. Cause I say to myself, you know what? I want to shoot a doe in the County that I live in. And then I want to, sh- I'm going to get two more tags for some does, um, in the County where I spend a majority of my rut. So what I do is whenever it's time, I I have these tags in my pocket, but when it comes time to hunt these farms, I'm in like late October, November timeframe. And I just say to myself, okay, I got to put myself down into bedding, wait for these bucks to come through. I don't want to booger it up by shooting a doe. And then here's a perfect example this year. I know the season's not over yet, but I doubt, I doubt I'm going to be able to get out. Same thing happened last year where I, I got, I got tags in my pocket. I got doe tags in my pocket that I never, I never fill because I'm watching these does walk by during the rut. I'm like, okay, well, something could be behind them or, right. you know, <laughs> something like that. And I just, yep. I, I, I shoot myself yep. in the foot when I, I feel like what I, what I need to do is just locate some does the opening weekend and just try to hunt a doe, like strategy for a buck and then filling a doe tag while you're doing that, I just feel like for me, I'm in some pretty good bedding areas. And if I shoot a doe, she runs in that bedding area, then I have to gutter and drag her out and all that stuff. All I'm doing is ruining it for yep. the next day, yep. right? It so, feels it feels very counterproductive. Right, absolutely. Yep. So yep. I got to figure out how to fill more tags. Uh, and I think it, most of it is just a time. It's a time thing. And uh, yeah. I'm going to try to shoot more does next year period so that's that's well once once your kids get older too start are you just looking at it from strictly like uh putting meat in the freezer standpoint yeah absolutely yeah absolutely hopefully your kids when they start getting a little older you can take them out on i don't know if iowa's got a youth hunt or not but yeah they do in september does and michigan's got a youth hunt and all the there's just a pile of deer that die in mid-september yeah so yeah that's the goal anyway we'll see we'll see i say it now but i'll probably fall into the same into the same routine as i do every year where it's just like okay western hunt come back different western hunt next year it's elk then it's then it's mule deer in october at some point so i don't know what i'm gonna do to try to shoot a doe in iowa if i'm going to be you know because the week before i leave i always want to be home and the week after i get back i always kind of want to be home uh you know just to so the wife doesn't think i'm forgetting about the family right you know a hundred percent a hundred percent so i don't know i'll uh i guess i just uh keep on keep it on i don't have anything to say (laughs) well dude if also if you if you shoot an elk or a mule deer i mean oh yeah I'll have to buy Nobody another about... deep freeze. Yeah, yep, yeah. exactly. So, all right, so Michigan, we talked about Michigan. Now let's talk about Nebraska. 
Um, so when did you actually leave for Nebraska? Oh, it was it was late October. It was like October twenty eighth or 29th or something That's like right. that. That's right. And then yeah. and then on your way back from your elk hunt, you checked some trail cameras in Nebraska. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So I can't remember. It's been, you know, we're we're too yeah, we're two months removed now. Yeah. Um so I'll just I'll blanket the I'll I'll ask a blanket question then. Did you have knowledge of any good deer on your Nebraska property before you went to Nebraska for your main hunt this year? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. Was it, I, it a, wasn't a good stock. It wasn't like go ahead, sorry. No, was it a good stock of deer? I mean, was it normal? Was it better than normal? Was it below normal? It was it was just a skosh below normal. Or it was just a, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if a skosh is a Michigan term, but uh, or just a bob term. But uh no, it was just it was a lot of three and a half year old eight points, and then like two four year olds, and I know there was some big bucks um, about two or three miles to the north, like truly like five six year olds, just like ten twelve point studs. There was yeah. a, a guy that reached out to me on a, a neighboring farm that's about two or three miles to the north, and he started sharing photos with me, and I was we were sharing photos back and forth from like the past five years about different deer that we had encountered and asking each other, if, you know, who, if you knew anything about, you know, those deer or saw them or anything like that. So that was a cool connection to make. So I knew there was a bunch of deer, a bunch of big bucks to the North. And they typically, the later you get into November, they start to filter down to where I'm at. Yeah. And, uh, I'm never really there during mid or late November, just because, uh, their gun season's always like the second, or third Saturday of November. So we're usually out of there by then. Yeah. But uh, no, there was, there was plenty of, there's plenty of decent three and a half year olds around. I wasn't too, my wife and I were out there together. So I wasn't, I wasn't too terribly worried about holding out for anything. Um, you know, real, real big. I wasn't putting up, I wanted to shoot the biggest buck on the farm, but I was not worried about, you know, it's got to be a 150 class or better. I wasn't yeah. putting that type of limitation on myself. Yeah. So, so yeah. when when you ended up getting out there and you ran through and checked your trail cameras again, were the deer that you were hoping to be on the farm on the farm? Yeah, yeah, they were. I mean, the ones that I kind of knew about because I had a couple cell cams out there, and they all just were. They were all around. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was I, we. I knew it was going to be a fun week of hunting. Because there was probably six or seven, three and a half year old, uh, eight or nine points around that I just knew that we were going to encounter. And there's just so many does out there. Um, I mean, I, I remember my first, within the first, so we got out there, I hunted an evening and then I hunted the entire next day. I sat all day. I think by the time the sun set on that second night, I had seen somewhere around 40 deer I believe the majority of them were in bow range and I had seen like three of those, those three and a half year old bucks, which I think, I think two of them were in bow range, but I couldn't get a shot off at them. So it was, uh, yeah, I had one come in the first night, right literally to the base of my tree stand. I was at full draw on them. And again, it was too dark. I mean, he was, he was no more than he was feet away. He wasn't even yards away. He was yeah. maybe five feet away. So shooting straight down yeah. on him, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. And I didn't take the shot because I just, 
well, I don't know. That's not really a great shot to take. And it's yeah. day one, too. So it's like, you know, let them live to kill them another day mentality. Yeah. Have you ever shot a deer straight down before? I've like, not. I mean, straight down. No. No. Nope. It's a hard never, it's, it's a hard shot to pull off. I've never even practiced it either, which is yeah. something I probably should do. So Yeah. Other than the deer in 2012 that I, it sucks to say, but I shot him through the nose and the broadhead went through his nostril down his throat and he was dead in like 60 yards. Holy cow. Yeah. Yep. Damn. Yep. Uh, I, one blade of the mechanical opened up and opened up from the inside out. So it was just, it was over. I, I like stripped his jugular and his, in his throat wide open and he just was dead. Now that's not the greatest shot in the world, but I've shot a doe straight down to where I had to let her take two more steps because my cam was, couldn't go on where my, uh, the seat of my tree stand. I didn't, I didn't lift it up. And, uh, so I had to wait for her to take two steps back and I spined her right in this, right between the shoulder blade. And she just dropped like a ton of bricks. It's, it's great when that happens, but it's, I don't know. If if you miss if you miss right or left, you're only hitting one lung, and right. that's a that's that can be tough. But you're still doing a shit ton of damage vertically, as opposed yeah. through as opposed through a pass through. But I guess I'm not afraid to take a shot like that. Your right. yours was your situation was it was just dark out, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, exactly. Exactly. So, um, now I forget. Was it? <laughs> Was it in Nebraska or in Iowa where you, you messed up? Uh, well, both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm not trying right. to make you feel like shit here. <laughs> no, no, you're good, man. You're good. Um, yeah, so. Tell me about I'll Nebraska just, first. Yeah, I'll just go through how the week in Nebraska played out. My, my wife ended up shooting a eight point. Um, good deer, too. Yeah, November 1st. And she... You know, the last couple years, 2018, 2019, she's wounded a couple deer or missed them, and it had really been messing with her. Well, in October here in Michigan, she shot a doe at 20 yards, and that doe only went maybe 40 yards. Um, so that boosted her confidence. I mean, she she practiced a ton. We did that total archery challenge. We have one here in Michigan, and there was a group of six of us, and she was the only girl, and she beat everybody. Oh, wow. Um, so she she definitely upped her her accuracy big time, and obviously you can be as accurate as you want to be, but when buck fever kicks in, you still have to be able to handle that. And yeah. we talked a lot about you know being able to overcome that mental block and stuff like that. And I she did really good. So what, on November first when she shot um, this eight point, you know she was nervous, but I, she shot that buck at she shot that buck at twenty yards. She shot it off the same exact scrape that I shot my buck off of in 2019 which is the biggest buck i've shot which is really cool um it's kind of you know it's a permanent you know it's, it's not a permanent tree stand but it's a tree stand we left up and uh so it's cool how that all happened but uh yeah it went 50 yards i think we didn't even blood trail we were looking for first blood and then i saw her lighted knock sticking up and there that buck was so that was cool i tell you but, what uh, though that is uh i had i don't i don't really want to say I got over it when I started killing, like I'm on a five year, you know, knock on wood, uh, five years in a row, I've harvested my Iowa buck. And before that 
I had some buck fever issues where I've missed or I put a shitty shot on something. And, and even in 2018, I, I, uh, put a shitty shot on a deer. Um, and it, it, it was more about the scenario and less about buck fever that I put a bad shot on that buck, but I've had buck fever cost me, uh, a handful of deer throughout the years. And there is nothing more, I guess, from a confidence boosting standpoint than smoking a deer and then watching him drop within range. I, you, right. you feel like a million dollars after it. Yep. Yep. So did she, was, was she pretty fired up when she, you know, when that, when that all went down? Oh dude, she was on top of the world. So it's, it's not only that, it's not only just like the accuracy stuff, but it's like, she's also like gotten to a place where she's like deciding where she wants to go hunt because of, uh, cell cam picks and wind direction and how she thinks deer are starting to move. And, like the doe that she shot here in Michigan, and I, this is going to sound very like entry level or very like amateur, but she she picked the place where she wanted the tree stand to be set up after she scouted it. Yeah, I set the tree stand up for her, but she went and she hunted it and she shot a doe out of it, and that was very gratifying for her because she. I mean, that's that is hunting, is it yeah. not? So that was a big move for her because it's usually been a lot of me telling her where to go. Or what I think is going to happen, where I think she should she should sit and stuff like that. Um, but then, yeah, same thing with uh, uh, being out in Nebraska. She chose to sit there. She chose to wait and wait and wait till the wind was right to go there, and she did. And she had a great hunt, and that you know deer came in at twenty yards, and she put a great shot on it. So it was very rewarding for her. She was a lot of confidence, a lot just like she had that like rewarding feeling of yeah. you know. I, yeah. I didn't just rely on Bob Polanik to put me right. in the right spot and shoot this deer. She right. did it herself. And yep. that's probably awesome for, for you as well for two reasons. One, you know, you've educated your wife enough to make those decisions and do those things and harvest that deer. And at the same time, it's probably good for you because that's one less thing you got to worry about for before your hunt. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. So, so that's awesome and to, to see the progression. I bet you that's just really cool. Yeah. I don't have any kids and my wife and I aren't planning on having kids. So I'm not ever going to get that opportunity to like raise a son or daughter and yeah. watch them go through that progression. I assume that is a very rewarding feeling. Um, I didn't come from a hunting family my fa- my friends got me into hunting. So I don't really even have like, like my dad doesn't understand like that whole progression. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's that's the closest I'll probably get to it. Besides, probably helping some of my my friends' kids right. get into it. So yeah. All right. So what happened after that? Uh, so all, while this is all going on, we had been there for maybe three or four days at this point. Um, I kept hunting. It got really hot. You know, it got yep. up to every day was seventy five, eighty. The mornings were still in the thirties, which was really good. But it was it was fifty fifty five degrees by. 9 a.m. every morning so the mornings were a lot better and uh there was there was a buck there that i knew about from the year before and he's just got really big uh g2s and then his g3 suck he's got this really big um he's got pretty good main beams and he just he was a four and a half year old deer um and we ended up nicknaming him two talls just to be able to you know communicate if we saw him or not but i kept getting photos of him at night and I, kept, I mean, he was all over the place. I mean, he was in the same night. He was covering over a mile, and he's just he's just running around at night, rutting, scent checking, doing his thing. And 
um, I kept trying to figure out like how I was, I just couldn't see him in daylight ever. And I wasn't even getting daylight photos of him. So, and I had, I've been seeing deer and, you know, I hadn't really been, I didn't really have an opportunity to pass on any decent bucks. So, and, but it was fine. I was having fun, seeing plenty of deer. And finally the last morning that I was there, um, decided to woke up in the morning, checked my cell cams. And I saw that that buck had been all over the place again. And I was like, all right. I was like, well, every, every time I get these cell cam pictures of him, and I just, and I've been checking my regular trail cameras and I'm trying to put this, like uh, how he's moving to his property. I was like, he always goes back to the CRP field in the morning. And I was like, maybe he'll be, maybe he'll be running late and he'll be moving in daylight still, or, or there'll be a hot dough around or something. So I kind of went and that told me to go closer to the CRP field and uh opposed to being like more so like in the timber or kind of like down on the river edge or something like that well he was in the crp field i ended up having a great hunt that morning um well yes and no but i'll get to that point um i got in my i got in my stand nice and early by the time i was all set up i had i had deer all around me so normally um, when I get my tree stand, I draw my bow back, make sure, you know, my elbow is going to clear the tree, make sure there's nothing, no issues. Um, I didn't get a chance to do that that morning because I had deer all around me. And then as soon as it got light out, there was just deer, there's bucks chasing does all through the CRP. And, uh, all of a sudden, boom, he pops up probably about eight o'clock and I've, I'm, he's probably 200 yards away and I'm just watching him. I'm videoing him. He's coming my way, but he's moving slow. He's taking, you know, he's going 20 yards, stopping, smelling. I mean, I got video of him where his ears are just moving around like little satellite dishes. Like <laughs> super, super cool footage. Right. And you can just you can see his breath because because it is still cold in the morning. And uh, he got to about 150 yards and he is due north of me. And he was heading. He was traveling straight east. So he's heading like kind of like parallel to me. And so I I just let out like four like really deep long grunts. And he heard one of them. And that's, I just stopped then. And he, sure enough, he turned and started coming my way. And, I love that, by the way. That's the coolest thing to see. Oh, it's it's amazing. Um, so he gets to about 100 yards, and he kind of starts veering off one way. And I'm like, all right, he's going to go basically to the right of me. And then he kind of changes course, and he's coming right back at me again. I'm, and then he's at like 50 yards at this point. And that's at that moment where it's like, holy shit, this is going to happen. Like, this is the last morning that I'm here. Like, this is about to happen. Like, the, like all that emotion starts coming through. And I was calm because I, I had watched him for so long. So he got to 19 yards, and he was just standing there. And he's, st he's standing directly at me. So I have no shot. I can't draw nothing. And uh, he turns, and I go to draw. And my release... Oh, shit, melt. yes malfunctions <laughs> breaks whatever you want to call it but basically it would hold about a pound or two of tension where you can like lock your release on and you can kind of like jerk on it a little bit or it can just be on there and it's not going to pop off you know what i mean yeah and uh once i went to go draw i drew probably three inches maybe and it popped and my arrow flung out you know d didn't even come close to hitting them yeah um he bound off like 10 steps I drew, I knocked another arrow. I drew back on him with fingers because by this time I could, I realized that my release was broken and I couldn't get another shot off at him, but he just slowly walked away. 
And this is when I realized that there's a tensioning screw on my release that had slowly worked its way to a point where my release wouldn't hold any tension. Oh, and the day before that, I drew my that night before that, I drew my bow back in my so somewhere between walking out with my release on, like it just moved just a micro amount where it just would no longer hold tension. Yeah. I had I had shot probably 15 arrows two days before that, so I I was pretty livid. I mean that's just it's one thing if I screw up, but something that's just so out of my control. Yeah. It was. It, Tough. And it wasn't but, like it was a brand new release either, because we talked about this on the Hunting Gear podcast, right? It, I mean, it was a, a release that you've had for several years, right? Yep. Yep. So, yeah. and it's, it's honestly, it's like, there's a part of me that, that I could feel like it's partly my fault because I didn't, I didn't check that tension. But who checks that? Like, uh, I don't. I, yeah. I've, I've killed several animals with that release. So, I mean, yeah, I st- I'm still using it. Yeah. I just set the tension, tension screw. And I'm still using it. It still shoots just fine. Yeah. So, um, and I, I always have a spare release in my bag. So if I would have, if I would have drawn my bow back that morning when I got in my tree stand, like I always do, I would have known that my release was broken, and I would have dug in my bag and grabbed my other release. And, I mean, I still would have had to have executed the shot, but it was 19 yards. Yeah. Like, I would have had to like. I would have had it messed up real bad not to put a good shot on that buck. Yeah. So, I, yeah, anyway, I, I wasn't going to hunt that evening, but I decided to. And uh, it was like 75 degrees, something like that. And I got my tree stand around, I don't know, 3 o'clock. And by 4 o'clock, I had shot a, like, shot a two-and-a-half-year-old eight-point at like, like 12 yards out of just straight anger. So <laughs> I filled my, filled my Nebraska tag. So... I shot a buck that I was planning on passing on, but uh, I don't know. He just, he came in at the wrong time. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit of anger, uh, anger slaying. Yeah. So he, I mean, he tastes great. Yeah. I don't know what it is about his back straps, but they are the best back straps I've ever had. <laughs> so, <laughs> spite so must spite must make things taste better, right? I, I, I guess so. so What's the but, uh, so so then you left right after that, right? Yeah, I went home. I went home after that, and then uh, I worked for a week from home because I got COVID in the little tiny town that I was in in Nebraska, where like everybody had it. So I had to work from home for the week, and then um, my buddy and I, we went out to Iowa. We ended up driving separately, and I slept in the back of my car at a parking lot diner for, like, the first three nights. And uh, let me tell you what, that was <laughs> – that's that's a low point. Wait a second. <laughs> I thought you had, like, a little place that you stayed out That's – that's in Nebraska. Okay, so you didn't have like a hotel or or we had a there's a there's a couple out there that we rent. Um, they turn their pole barn into they've got a bunch of rooms and like a kitchen and a, yeah. and a nice bathroom and stuff like that. So we just rent it from them, and they're like they're in their late fifties or sixties, and you know, and plus, plus I I had COVID, so like I think I had to go out. I had to quarantine until Sunday. And we got there on a Friday. Oh, okay. So I just had a couple of days that I had to quarantine. And I just didn't want to risk it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my buddy, 
I got out there before my buddy got a hunt in and everything like that. And, uh, I passed on a, I passed on a real nice nine point, probably 130 class nine point probably should have shot him, but it was, it was the very first deer I saw yeah. in Iowa. I think it was like November, I don't know, 11th or something like that. I, I don't remember the dates now, but, yeah. um, so yeah, I had a good hunt. What was I, the, uh, what was the trail camera? uh intel from iowa when you got there well i had so when it was hot out in nebraska that in, during the first week of november i took an evening off and i went and i checked cameras in iowa and i set a whole bunch a whole bunch of my uh cell out and from that point to the point that we got there every single day there was tons of bucks tons of mature bucks farm was Big, on fire it was it was lit. Yeah, it was absolutely lit. And we so I think memory serves me. We got there on November thirteenth. Yeah, we hunted the thirteenth to the twenty third, and the first three or four days it was. I think the first four days, we each had an encounter with mature buck in the morning and in the evening, and I think my buddy went on a roll all the way till like day five of that. And then after that, it went, it got real, real slow. So, um, and that's when that cold front came through too. So yep. that cold front had the opposite effect on your farm. Well, are you talking like November 17th, 18th? Well, some, it was somewhere around there that, uh, um, because it wasn't as hot when you went to Iowa. Cause I killed my deer on the seventh this year. And yep. a cold front came through like the 11th or 12th or something like that. I th I I thought. Yep, it and that dropped some a little snow. Yep, and that got everything fired up. Okay. For sure. Yeah, right. that's when that's when all the trail cameras went off. And then we hunted like the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and it was ah, still really good. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So it warmed back up a little bit, is what you're saying. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It just yeah. It just became like normal November rut temperatures like yeah. high of 45 low of 30 type of thing yeah so and we had a great hunt i mean dude i have i had bucks chasing does i had so many encounters um moving a tree stand in the middle of the day and getting up into an opening and just standing still because i'm just watching you know like a, a solid like 120 class eight point like 10 yards behind a doe and the doe's just got her tail up and she's in heat and he's just getting ready to, to breed her. Just like watching those walk by at 20 yards, like stuff like that going yeah. on. Just like you're in Iowa. Like there's just something about Iowa. Yeah. Um, now, just, I just don't ever I don't experience that anywhere else. Yeah. So. Now was there any, I don't know when people think of Iowa, they think of giant white tails, right? These big bodied, big antlered deer. Did you have any of those on camera or any yeah. sightings? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was one buck that I was real obsessed with. Um, and it's kind of dumb to get obsessed with a certain buck. It's during... not, it's not, dude. Uh, <laughs> it's normal. Trust me. It's normal. Yeah. It, uh, dude, he was, he's all of a one fifty class eight point. Yeah. He doesn't have any, doesn't have any junk or anything like that, but he is just, he is just a mega a point and just so much mass. And I mean, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I've studied enough pictures of him and like 
uh, got like trail camera video and stuff like that. I'd be willing to bet that I could stand. I'm I'm 215 pounds, six two. I'm pretty sure I could wrap his rack around me, and no part of his rack would touch my body. Wide, just wide and open and huge yeah. and tall. Yeah, just beautiful. Love that. Yeah, and I had pictures of him in daylight every single morning and night from like November 1st through the 7th, and I was in Nebraska the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So, so just. Let me ask you this. Why why did you hunt Nebraska this year? I know your wife was with you, but why didn't you spend more time focused on in on Iowa? Well, so the Iowa, you know, it's a we my buddy and I we applied together and he's kind of like my he's my whitetail hunting buddy that will do the the non-resident hunts with me. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I just, that was the, we, you know, we picked a 10 day window to go out there together and I just kind of, you know, I just stuck to it. Yeah. I put myself in his shoes and it was like, you know, if I'm sitting back in Michigan and he's in Iowa, you know, hunting all the, hunting all the tree stands we hung and stuff like that. And then he does shoot one, you know, what's that? what's that hunt going to be like when we go back out there and only one of us has a buck tag Yeah, and does the other person even go? And then are you just sitting there hunting by yourself? So yeah, that's a tough call, man. And I just had, I mean, I was, you know, that Nebraska farm, there's plenty of, I mean, I just kept, kept hunting that Nebraska farm because, uh, seeing plenty of deer. I mean, don't get me wrong. Plus it got hot, you know, that first week of, uh, the first week of November. Now, don't get me wrong. If I was in Nebraska and I tagged out early, I was gonna go spend a couple couple days in uh, in Iowa, and I was probably gonna hold out for like something truly, really big. But yeah. um, so, what did you see other than other than trail cam picks of that uh, that one fifty class eight? He, was he a four year old or older? You think? Uh he's probably five or six. Yeah. Okay. So big there body. Was, there was, yeah, I mean, I've got, there was probably, there had to been, I mean, we got access to like a thousand acres and it's like four different farms and there must've been a dozen four and a half year old bucks or older. Yeah. Um, it was, it was truly impressive. I mean, I had an inventory of bucks and it wasn't just like, oh, I got a picture of them on october 16th and haven't seen him again he was like repeat customer after repeat customer and it's just like different angles of their rack and stuff like that so you could really identify exactly what buck was yeah. and yeah i think i think there was there's two basically so we have access to four farms three of them all touch each other and then one is like 10 miles away so on that one that's 10 miles away it's a 500 acre farm there was four mature bucks on that and then uh, on this big, this, these other three farms that all are together, it's about 600 acres. That's where there was like eight mature bucks. Okay. So, um, and it was, yeah, dude, it was sweet. I saw, I saw the biggest, I saw the biggest buck I've ever seen with my own eyes in a hunting scenario um, this year. How big? So, uh, probably 160, 10 point. Whew. That's a big deer. Yeah. Yeah. He was about 150 yards away, but. Yeah, chasing a uh, doe. What was he doing? Yeah, yeah. He, I think he was, I think he was breeding her. She popped out, and he did. She popped out into a field, 
and he came out after her and got in front of her and pushed her right back up, up into the timber. Yeah. So when you saw just, that, just to make a quick question here, when you saw him uh, kind of push her out of that whatever little chunk of timber, um, did you say to yourself, hey, man, I got to go over into that area and hopefully he's back there the next day, or did you sit tight? Uh, no, I, I didn't even – I didn't even call to him or rattle at him or nothing. I, that was in the morning. I got down, moved to tree stand. Um, closer to where he was yep, at? Much yep. closer. And didn't see him that night. And then that next morning, um, I didn't see him, but I missed like a solid, like 140 class, eight point at 40 yards. All right. So walk us through this scenario now. All right. So you're in your tree stand. This deer, talk to us about the, the terrain that you were sitting in, what the the area looked like, why why were you sitting in the tree that you were sitting in, and then walk us through this miss. Okay, so basically, the, this farm that I'm talking about, it's it's unique in the sense that the the ag is on top, and all the timber is down in the draws, and yep. the valleys are all timbered, and the ag is on like the ag is the the top of these ridges are big and flat. And that's where all the ag is. Where everything else that I have ever hunted, the ag is down in the valleys and the ridges are all timber. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So it's kind of a unique situation. I don't know why. I don't know if it, it, it definitely holds bigger deer than any other place I've hunted. So I don't know if it's common. Know yeah. It's common for the east and west side of the state, uh, like okay. along the major rivers, like the Missouri and the, yep. the Mississippi all the bluffs are full of trees and then you get to the tops and then that's where the ag starts. And then the further inland you go, it kind of, this is my experience. It kind of switches. And then the, then a lot of the higher ground is trees. And then I don't know, then the low ground is ag, but then you, but then you get to a point where it's just all flat in Iowa. And then it's just like the, the drainages are all, all timbered. Gotcha. So, I'm down in this. I'm down in this draw that's all timber, and I'm hunting. It's a draw that's all timbered, and then it 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 bottoms out into just like a grassy field. That's like it's no ag or anything like that. It's just natural grasses. Yeah. And uh, I'm hunting in that. It's like a big U shape. The timbers in a U shape, and that grassy fields in the bottom. And I'm hunting in the bottom of that, and that's I see him at about 150 yards. Um, kind of like on the top of the U basically. And uh, that's where he came out. He popped out and he pushed his doe back in. And I knew that there was some different terrain in there, some different pockets that he could definitely be bedding in and stuff like that. So I just got as close as what I thought would be comfortable where it was really quiet that day too. There was no wind. So I knew I couldn't push in as hard as I wanted to. Um, So I was being more reserved and yeah, I didn't see him I did not see him that evening. The next morning I went back to the same spot and I saw a buck before it was light out. I have no idea how big it was. I know it was a shooter. I don't know what buck it was, but um, I knew it was a shooter. I could just see him through my binos. I just saw a big white rack. And he kind of he kind of curled around me and probably at about 50 yards. I could never see him throughout the timber. And I just hung tight. And then about a half hour later, I'm assuming it was that buck. I don't know, but he came back through and he came through the, he came through that grassy opening in that U and now is sitting. So if you, if you make a U, you know, 
with your hands or whatever. Yeah. If I'm sitting, I was my original spot was in the bottom of the U, um, and now I have moved over to the left, the top left of the U, and now he's moving right up the grassy middle, right in between, right right through the center of that U-shaped draw. Okay. And uh, he was behind me, and he was also the elevation continued to drop to where he was. So he, I was probably, you know, I was in a lone wolf. I was probably 18 feet up a tree. And I was in a stupid ass tree too. It's probably only like eight inches in diameter, but it's all I had. And, uh, so I, I took a shot from behind me and he, the elevation probably dropped another 10 to 15 feet where he was at. So it was pretty steep, steep angle, you know, probably a solid 30, 30 foot drop in elevation. Andy was at 40 yards, which is like my absolute max. And, uh, he just ducked my arrow. Yeah. So I, I had to grunt at him to stop him. So he was yeah. on point at that point. He knew oh, yeah. he, he, he stopped. stared at me. Yeah. He was staring at me. Yep. Okay. Damn. Yep. So, so I know after, then, uh, after that though, like you were pretty down, right? Um, you know, I had, I developed an attitude during elk season because you blow so many stocks during yeah. elk season. I developed an attitude of like, oh, well, let's yeah. just go find the other one. Yep. And I carried that into whitetail season. And let me tell you what, I can sit on social media and I can feel the pain for a lot of guys that have been just like hunting and they're down and they're just mentally drained. And I was not that guy this year because I just kept saying, oh, well, let's find another one there's plenty around yeah go find another one that's a good attitude to have like it's i don't feel sorry for like people who whine about oh how hard how tough shit is like i don't feel sorry for anybody any like it sucks to say but i don't feel sorry for when i see another hunter go oh man i'm having a really tough year oh man i dude the same people who are saying that and this is just my observation right this is where asshole dan comes out a little bit (laughs) like those people are hunting field edges or food plots or, you know, or, or something where they're just like, Oh God, I can see forever, but he's just not getting close. Let me rattle at this deer again and again and again. And they're doing the same damn thing over and over again. And then they're bitching about it because they're not getting the results that they want. It's like, duh, I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I had to learn that lesson myself, man. But now that I've learned it, it's like, it it just pains me to see people do that. I've uh, I've looked at it more from like a mental standpoint, yeah. and it's basically if I, all right, I can have a shitty day of hunting, I can miss a buck, and that really does suck. It does. But the alternative is I could be sitting at work. And- <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So if you just keep that mentality. Right. Like if I wasn't. If I wasn't here, I would be thinking about what was going on here. So just be happy that you're there. Just be happy with what you got. That's a fact. So, uh, and yeah, I just, a big part of it was the mental, the mental side this year. So, and then it's just, I don't know, like the whole, all the COVID shit and just everyone's, you know, bumming and stuff like that. It's like at the end of it, like, just be happy with how it went. And, and for me personally, I killed a cow elk. I killed a eight point both with my bow got me in the freezer and it kind of was just like, Oh, well let's really try to find another one. Now don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean 
I'm going out to my tree stands willy nilly, not paying attention to scent and wind direction, all yeah. that. No, it's I'm anal. I'm gonna do anything I can to to put all the odds in my favor and kill one of the better bucks on that farm. Yeah. But yeah. And that's just the, that's the mentality you have to have, man. I don't know how many times in my life, you know, once I learned exactly what you just said, right? That I got busted or I missed a shot or I, I buggered up this area. All right, move to the next area, go find the next one. Once I was able to do that, I was having continuous encounters, you know, not just one encounter here or one encounter there, but you, you know, you screw up, you go to the next place. Guess what? Fresh place, new encounter. And it just like, yeah. it, you just go like that. And the deer that yeah. you want is going to be there or it's not going to be there. Then you move. So, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not like I released an arrow, missed the deer. And within 30 seconds, I was all like, oh, well, it doesn't yeah. matter. No, <laughs> I was pissed off for a solid, you know, hour, two hours, but digest, sit in your tree stand, digest, knock another arrow and hope something comes back by. Yeah. I don't, that's kind of my, my mentality, but, uh, so yeah, it's uh it's a bummer, dude. I had, you know, we all have these dream seasons that we we think up in our head. Yeah. And uh you know, I I had it. I had a a slammer in Nebraska and I had a slammer in Iowa and uh I got 99% of it right. Yeah. And that last 1%, I just that arrow in flight, I just couldn't get it to happen. Yeah. So I feel you, man. So how did the oh. rest of your Iowa trip pan out then um it was it was our i had like two days left after that um and the yeah i don't know i think i had a couple more encounters definitely plenty of deer running around but the uh my very last hunt i did a hang and bang and i had to i had to cut a branch and i started sawing on it and it was really quiet that that evening and uh i was like man that's kind of loud and then I was like, but it really does sound like a, a buck making a rub. So I was like, whatever, just finish cutting it and get ready. And I no longer put my hooey man away. And um, I pulled my bow up because part of the reason I couldn't get my bow up is because I was cutting branches to like clear a, a way to get my bow up. And as I'm, draw, as I'm pulling my bow up on the bow rope, I hear a deer coming in and I look and I shit you not, it is the same 130 class nine point it was that i passed on day one was at 10 yards on the last night and i'm trying to shoot him and when i knocked an arrow he definitely he could hear it but he didn't know what was going on my wind was fine and he just he kind of heard it he kind of looked around and then he just walked off in the other direction yeah and i was like well that's fitting so the first buck <laughs> i saw and passed on is the last buck I saw and it was the last deer I saw and tried to shoot. So I was like, that's how she goes. But, um, no. And then, so the cool thing is, is that Iowa's bow season goes till January 10th. And, uh, my buddy and I, the companies we work for our vacation renews on January 1st. So we, uh, next Wednesday are headed back out to Iowa for some late season, Freeze your ass off, probably not kill anything. <laughs> I love the description, but I tell you what, the, the the chapter on the 2020 season is not 
written yet, right? So you still got some time to make stuff happen, and that kind of shit happens all the time. Why can't it be Bob Polanik's turn to make it happen? That's exactly it. That's exactly the mentality, man. So I'm excited. Um, It sounds like not a lot of deer died during uh, your guys' shotgun season out there from some of the locals we talked to. Um, We've gotten some tips about, you know, look at, look at the heavy, the heavy pines that butt up to cut cornfields for like that thermal cover and that feet, that preferred feeding. Um, and we've got a lot of areas like that. Um, so, and like you just, I think you were telling me before we jumped on, you guys just got a bunch of snow, which is, we definitely need that to try to get some ideas of how deer are moving through there. Yeah. And depending on how much snow you did get, it could be almost easy to locate deer sign, I mean, I've, I've hunted with this amount of snow in the past where they're all grouped up now. If there's an ag field that still has stuff in it, you know, still has grain waste or whatever, or if hell, if you even find something standing, you're going to have an opportunity to set up on some really fresh sign and some really like really well-used trails because they're all going to go down the same trail and it's almost going to be a parade if, I don't know, depending on how much snow. Like if there's not a lot of snow, then it's kind of business as usual for late season. But I've been in the situation in the past where I was chasing a buck. He was coming, man. He was coming in a scenario like this where there, we got like 10 inches of snow. And I went out there just to check, I don't know, just to see what was going on late season. And uh, sure enough, I, I found where there must have been a lot of grain waste and the deer were hitting this co- cut cornfield really hard and there was like three trails coming out of the timber and it looked like like car runways right so i just go back i didn't sit on the field edge i went i followed the the uh the trail in to like the first main terrain feature and then that's where i set up you know given the wind scenario where i put myself in the best wind position and just had a parade that night had a parade of does walk by me like 15 does walk by me 30 minutes before daylight and uh, no bucks, but I gave her hell for three days chasing them. And then it just kind of, I think the season ended up ending at that point. So, yeah, that's what, and that's what we're doing. We're going to, the season ends Sunday, January 10th, and we're going to hunt, I think like Thursday night through Sunday night. Now, would you hunt the morning still? I mean, we're, we're going to, because this is all we got. Yeah. I mean, if you're hunting mornings, what what I would probably do is, and this a lot of it depends on how much snow there is. Follow that, follow those trails back into where you think some of these bedding areas are at, right? And and get a tree stand in there on day one, but then don't hunt it, right? Maybe hunt it that night, and then back out and only hunt that in mornings, right? So you have something really close to bedding to hunt during the mornings. It's, okay. kind of, it's a little bit of a risky play, but um, there's a chance that they they come back and, you know, they're feeding as late as they possibly can. The moon won't be as bright then, so I don't know. And it, it's worth a shot. I mean, it's not like you're going to rattle something in this late in the game or grunt no. something in. It's, it's, right. it's straight-line hunting. A to B, bed to food, food to bed, and that's that's what they're doing this time of year. Right, right. So and we did we did leave three trail cameras up. So any um, any cell cams? Them, 
No, no, no okay. because when we left, when we left, we weren't planning on coming back. I got gotcha. so This, yeah, this whole plan came out of a, a random, you know, December one hit, and it's like, well, here goes November. That yeah. was, you know, that's always a tough, tough day. And uh, we were just texting back and forth, my buddy and I, and it was like, well, dude, is like, we still got tags, like. And then we were both like, well, we're both out of vacation time. And I was like, well, guess, guess when my vacation renews? And he was like, well, so does mine. <laughs> so, Don't shoot uh, yourself yeah. in the foot with this trip to where you got to cut something short in November. And that's that's what we said. He wanted to go for like, he wanted to take like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. And I was like, no, man, I was like, we got, I got, I got November 2021 to think about. So I don't need to blow a bunch of you know, blow a bunch of vacation days in January. But the other thing is, you know, Iowa, it's, it's a draw. And we've been lucky enough to go uh, every other year for the last, you know, we've only been out there twice. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, I, I, we don't know if we're going to be able to go back in 2022 yeah. or not because it's a draw and it's an expensive tag. And it's like, you know, why not yep. go back why out not? there and give it one last shot? Yep. So. Well, I tell you what, man, good luck. Uh, thanks for hopping on the podcast once again and uh, keep us all posted on uh, how this last li- little two-minute warning of your season goes down. Yeah, man, it's a damn near sudden time, sudden or, uh, sudden death overtime. So, But uh, I appreciate you having me on, and it was uh, I'm glad we had this conversation because it got me all sorts of fired back <laughs> up. And there you have it. Once again, we are done. I just want to say once again, I, I used the term once again, once again, too many times. Anyway, <laughs> God, I'm a douchebag sometimes. We are thankful here at the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles that you guys listen to this podcast uh, and all of the podcasts on the network. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to spend time listening to what we produce. Huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles. And that is Vortex Optics, Ozonics, Wasp, Vortex, Lone Wolf, the average conservationist. Please go out and support those companies. Uh, be safe out there if, if you're winding down your hunting season and winding up into other places like maybe predator hunting or ice fishing or you're going to transition to waterfowl if some of those seasons are still open. But uh, good luck in 2021, man. Uh, I look forward to hearing about your success. Uh, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook whenever you shoot a doe or a duck or a fish or whatever, man. I love seeing uh, you know trophy picks and uh, have a good year. And we will talk to you next time.